Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, I'm Dave Hendon. This is the Snooker Scene Podcast. This week, the return of the WPBSA chairman, Jason Ferguson. Well, Jason, you were on this podcast a couple of years ago. A lot's happened in the snooker world since then. How would you sort of sum up the state of snooker at the moment? Uh, I mean, it's in great shape, the sport, and a lot has happened. I think the, the one word that we would like to say is globalisation. Uh, and that's not just from a, a playing perspective. You know, obviously, numbers of participation are quite high around the world in snooker but particularly the TV distribution. Um, it now is truly a global sport and it's got that global recognition. Mm. What comes with that is obviously a great responsibility for us to make sure that we invest in the right areas and underpin the future. Mm. It's been announced that China Open is now million pound prize money and that part of the world is still very, very important, isn't it? It is. I mean, China as, as a market is still our uh, second largest uh, single market, shall we say, for snooker. Um, you know, anywhere between four and six major events within any calendar year. Um, the, the season is, 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 the events are coming hard and, hard and fast for the players through the season. There's a lot of travel involved. Um, but, you know, the marketplace is great. It's very vibrant. The events are growing in China. Uh, the recent announcement of the China Open to take that prize money over that million pounds bar uh, is a significant milestone. Um, but it's not just the events, it's what's going on behind the scenes as well. And one of the successes of the China market has been how we've built the sport from the bottom with the CBSA, the local national federation, mm. um, with a tremendous amount of activity everywhere. Mm. There's a snooker city now that you shout, there's a snooker, snooker well, how, what does that mean really? Yeah, we've, we've, we've been, uh, one of the things we're keen to do is, is get involved with the cities that we're actually working with. Now we all know Sheffield is the snooker city of the world, everybody looks at Sheffield and wow, it's the cruise of the world, it's the snooker city. But what we've done is, is created a theme with some of the cities that we've been engaged with is snooker cities of the world. And w- within that, we've, we've been looking at opportunities of how we can establish longer-term uh, benefits for both parties in the cities that we work in. The perfect example, of course, is the World Open in Yushan. Um, Yushan is a city that wants to engage with sport. They've come along and said, we want to theme our city around billiard sports, uh, what that means is that, that they are making significant investments into infrastructure, 
and that, that will include anything from um, new venues to training academies, uh, but also to some themed areas in the city. So uh, we'll assist with participation. There'll be clubs, leisure facilities, all based around billiard sports, and in particular snooker. One of the nice things there for us is the, um, the renaming of the, of the, of the harbour side on the river to be called Snooker Bay. Right. So there's, there's um, some great developments going on. Yeah. And it's not the only city in China. It's, uh, I, I, the one thing we've, we've found in China is to, is to get really engaged with the cities has really benefited us as a sport because it's not about going, putting an event on going back next year and hoping it's still going to be there. Mm. There is a strategy behind it and the China Open is really demonstrates that strategy of how well it is working. Mm. Um, our events have grown significantly and as a result the sport prize winning has grown. Yeah, and it's interesting that snooker seems to sort of shed its old image, the old sort of seedy snooker club image, obviously mainly associated with Britain seems to have gone now, you know, we've got Jackson Page at the Welsh Open, this sort of 16 year old, you know, and he, he, he clearly, you know, he, he sees snooker as a career, whereas when you, a lot of kids, they sort of bunk off school to play in the old days, things have changed, haven't they? They have drastically, and uh, that, that, that image is, um, is long gone, uh, some of it still hangs around, people still refer to it, but if you look at the way players come through now, uh, you know, we were talking about China a moment ago, Let, let's look at how a Chinese player becomes a snooker player, it really is about the opportunity that they're given at school to play snooker. We've, we've put a number of academies in schools in China. They then move on to the National Academy, which is in Beijing, and the, the players can train with professionals, they can train properly under proper coaches, but also they're given the chance through that to engage in playing in international events and their own national tour. This generates competition, it generates um, sharp match performances that you, you see on the table today. And, and that's really how the image is growing now and we need to want, keep building on this image, working with universities, working with education systems. To do that we need to get beneath the infrastructure of sport in the countries that we want to put events on. This is a key point for, uh, for me as, as chairman of the governing body, is to make sure that we are a real sport, not just an enterprise which puts on events. And that's a challenge isn't it, because every country has its own culture its own culture of sport and way of doing things and I guess you've got to go into it and work out what that is and how to work within it. It is that and, and I think the model is China. I think if we, if we look at what we've done in China, we, we actually engage with China as a nation, we engage with their culture and started to work with their systems and, and what their needs were. It's a very successful business model and it, but it's also a very successful sports development model. And we, are, we have been doing it in other areas. I mean, we've been doing this in Thailand since, uh, you know, I think early 2000s, late 90s even. So it is a model we can replicate around the world. Uh, I've currently got some very exciting discussions going on with the UAE, uh, and in particular in Dubai, where it looks, it looks likely that we'll establish a new academy as a base for, for players uh, as they're passing through that area, as we do yeah. many times yeah. these days. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's, it's really about... Um, engaging with the, the individual countries and it starts at the grassroots it starts with the national federation who are running national events so that we can gain an understanding of what goes on so a, a lot of work going on behind the scenes in the WPBSA sports development office okay so, good obviously the players showcase the sport on television and they play in the tournaments can they do more off the table are you happy with what the players are doing and what areas could they improve on I think the players are getting better and better. Certainly the more that we travel with them, the more time they're spending. 
they are becoming better. They're becoming better performers. They're better at media. They're becoming uh, more accessible, I think, for, for us to work with them. I have to say, we've, we've some great ambassadors in this sport. I mean, if you look at the top of our game with the likes of Mark Selby, you don't have to look far um, to, to find Mark Selby doing something um, and saying the right thing for the sport. And it's that great English gentleman's image that we've got in our, you know, our world champion uh, that, that is a great thing to portray to the world. So I think it's improving, but I also think it's about education. I think our, as a sport, we have been very guilty of servicing the tour uh, and perhaps not... Um, perhaps not looking at what we should be investing in in the grassroots in terms of education. And, and that's a very, a very historical problem that, that the WPBSA had. In recent times, certainly in the past uh, five or six years, we've been investing in that education. And you know, it might be media training, it might be anti-corruption training, it might be you know, talking about betting rules, it might be... But what we're doing, we're actually trying to... Uh, we're trying to to produce a, a better standard of sportsmen all round, mm. I would say. And that's not just for the sports benefit, but it's for the players' benefit as well. Mm. I guess what's also needed is new players. There's a lot of players winning tournaments, and they're great players, of course, winning tournaments in their 40s, but any sport needs to renew itself with younger players. There's a new challenge tour starting next season. Is, that, is the idea behind that to try and bring more people through? Yeah, again, there are two reasons behind that. One is to try and create a vibrant environment where players can compete against each other. You know, we can, we can go back to the... I hear many players talking about the great era of snooker, the Mark, you know, Mark Williams came through and Ronnie O'Sullivan came through and the list is endless of great players from that era. The one common thing that, it, that, that went on in that area was there was, a, there was a very vibrant active amateur scene of events so the pro events which we all grew up in um, we were playing every weekend competing at, at a very high standard I mean you could go to any pro weekend and see a century break or a one four seven break, it was, it was that kind of standard but it, that was created out of providing competitions um, every sport today faces challenges of participation because of other activities like computer games and mobile phones and all you know it's a real challenge for sport I have to say it's you know I do feel that it's a, it's a challenge that we are actually uh, fighting very well against as, as sports go but the idea is is to, is to give young people the opportunity to play when they get good enough there has to be sufficient quality events for them to compete in the challenge tour is about that for those aspiring um, top amateur players there has to be a system in which they can de develop and hone their skills to become a professional player 128 professional players in most events these days um, the, the, the challenge tour will be made up of 64 players and we will also be looking to include some, um, some uh, wildcard players who, who will come through some amateur events as well the one thing we've been trying to do with the WPBSA is, is create a system to support the World Snooker Tour which A, develops talent, B, gives opportunities for everybody wherever they're from, equal opportunities. We want to see the same opportunities to qualify for the World Snooker Tour for women as what we see for men. Historically, that hasn't been the case. Um, where we are today is we're developing these opportunities. If you qualify for the World Championship as an amateur, which you can do now, you have to win that opportunity mm. and we have to provide the opportunities for you to be able to um, achieve so th this is the, the systems that we're trying to build now mm. and uh, it's a very it's very interesting work for us mm. uh, we're finding 
um, new charities all over. It's incredible the, the calls we get and from faraway countries. I, I have an atlas on my wall in my office and I very often have to refer to it because I'm not even sure where some of the countries are. It, it really is getting to that point where the sport is being viewed so, um, so far and wide through its um, you know, network of television coverage, you know, Eurosport, BBC, all these, all these stations that are putting this uh, fantastic coverage out. Uh, we have to service a sports development plan for that whole area. It's quite a task. I'm sure it is, I'm sure it is. And, and, and let's move on to the amateur game. Um, there's been a sort of a schism, I guess, in, in, in the world amateur game. The IBSF were traditionally the, the governing body. Um, they were part of the uh, World Confederation of Billiard Sports. There was a kind of... Well, you, you explain what happened, because but what's happened is a new body is formed which you're leading, the World Snooker Federation. Yeah, I, just to give you some history, the uh, World Confederation of Billiard Sports, the WCBS, is the IOC recognised body for Q Sports. Um, uh, I was involved in the WCBS many years ago during its first submissions and uh, the first World Games in 2001. Um, this is a, a body made up of Paul, Snooker and Callum. Uh, we historically had a relationship with um, an amateur body called the RBSF, who used to govern the uh, majority of amateur snooker. Now. That, that relationship was called the World Snooker Federation Agreement. So the, the, the concept has been around for many, many years. Um, what happened during the 2017 World Games, um, the IBSF withdrew from the World Snooker Federation Agreement formally um, in, in what I could only describe as a, uh, you know, a power grab. Um, it, was, it was certainly, uh, we certainly had, were quite happy to sit there as a minority seat. We were quite happy to sit there and support the Olympic programme. Um, unfortunately, the, the, the way the politics worked sometimes was um, the IBSF took a very aggressive stance towards the WPBSA um, and basically um, tried wanted to take over positions and, um, and control. This makes no sense for anybody. Um, it's very clear that amateur snooker needs to work alongside professional snooker. Um, unless the two parties are working together, then there will be flaws in the system. Um, things have moved on a little bit. We were always working with the IBSF to formalise the World Snooker Federation into a body which could provide the appropriate governance and qualification systems that we've been talking about earlier. Um, Unfortunately, the will is no longer there from the IBSF to work with the uh, WSF, uh, therefore we've gone ahead on our own. Um, in doing that, it means that we will be putting in place tour qualification, um, new events to qualify players, we're qualifying players to the World Championships. But also on top of that, Dave, just to, just to reiterate why we think this is necessary, we want to, uh, we've touched on some of this earlier, but we want to bring players through at the highest standard. Now that's not just play on the table. We want to make sure the education is there through the national federations, through the ed through the education uh, of the top players at international amateur events. Yeah. And to do that, we are going to have to take control of those events ourselves. Mm. Um, and really, that's what it's about. But the WSF World Snooker Federation, which which has now been formalised, is a fully compliant sports international federation it's been done we've taken advice from the ioc we've taken advice from uh, various bodies that govern sport and it's been put together as a as a as a properly constituted if to really look after the interests of the amateur side of our sport going forward if the ibsf want to come to the table and talk to us about how that what part they want to play in that 
this is fine by us. Um, there doesn't seem to be a will at, at the moment. Yeah, and I guess the problem at the moment is that not every national federation has come across to the World Snooker Federation. So some are still affiliated to the RBSF, some are affiliated with you. You're running your own sort of World Amateur Championship, aren't yeah. you, next month? Yeah, yeah, it's true. We, we opened up for membership. We formalised the organisation, opened up for membership. Um, we have around 50 members now, uh, which is a significant percentage of the world's snooker playing bodies. Uh, and we do have the majority of the large nations which are active with us. So not overly concerned about the numbers. And we've also made it very clear we're happy for those bodies to play in IBSF events. Mm. We're happy for players to play as much snooker as possible. Actually, mm. that's actually what we're here for. Mm. We're actually here for the players, not the politics, mm. and this sometimes gets forgotten in, uh, in the sport. So, uh, from our perspective, we're opening up these events, and it, it is open to all national federations who become part of the World Snooker Federation. Uh, the majority have done that, and I believe the others will follow. Now, if they don't, um, I, I don't think it's an option. Um, I, I, there's no going back from where we are. We're, we're certainly putting down the foundations for the future of the sport. We will be hosting the WSF Championships uh, in March in Malta, between the 14th and the 24th of March. Um, it will be held in a hotel with star tables, the conditions will be excellent, and we'll be producing a world-class amateur event um, as, as, a, as a major um, championship. One of the interesting parts of that is also that qualification to the World Super Tour will be open to women. It is not a men's event, as traditionally we've seen through the IBSF, men's and women's. You know, why would we give, why would we give uh, Wilson Couture card to the IBSF champion, which is a men's event, mm. and not to women's? It's, it makes no sense. This is not a, um, it's not a performance sport at, um, that needs strength or, or anything like that. It's a sport that requires finesse, hard work, discipline. Mm. We are a mixed gender sport at the highest level. What we want to do is encourage more women to come through. So the WSF Championships will we'll be holding a Women's World Championship, which we do every year. The Women's World Championship will qualify our players into the WSF Championships, and the WSF Championships is mixed gender for qualification to the World Snooker Tour. Very exciting time. We're very excited by the project, but during the week we'll be also be hosting meetings uh, and a general meeting to discuss uh, the opportunities about shaping the future of amateur sport. It's quite, they're quite difficult waters to, to, to negotiate, I'd imagine. And regardless of your, you had, you had a, a good career as a snooker player, a top snooker player, but you're now very much a politician, aren't you? And, and I guess, you, again, you have to learn how to sort of deal with different people from different backgrounds, different cultures, to try and bring everyone together, which is not easy in this sport. No, it's not. You know, in every sport you get, particularly in national federation structures and, and, and IF structures, you get factions and you get um, little groups that tend to pull together. I think what we've got to do is focus what, on what the big picture is. And the big picture is to provide opportunities for people. Now, we don't mind working with anybody, by the way. You know, and like I say, we, we, we made every effort to work with the IBSF. It was, it was the aggression from the IBSF that, that caused the problems. Going forward, um, we are looking for national federations and maybe international federations to stage events um, on behalf of the WSF and to support what we're doing as a global sport. Um, it's, uh, it is an exciting time because this opportunity doesn't come around very often in any sport where you get the chance to reshape it all from top to bottom. 
you know, I've been blessed with that opportunity. I've been given that chance um, to come back to World Snooker when we were on our knees. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we, we've created a global tour from what, predominantly just six UK events, which we had. We've created a true global platform. But to do to now, we have to start investing the rewards from that globalisation in the grassrooms to make sure we, we deliver it top to bottom. In terms of the professional game, do you feel you get enough gratitude for the way things have changed? Because you've only got to sit 10 minutes in the players' room and you hear all sorts of complaints, some of which you may be uh, are right, a lot of them just seem to be complaining for the sake of it. Well, first of all, let me tell you, I was a snooker player. <laughs> and by the way, it was never my fault. When I was. So, so yeah, I never lost a match, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> this, this is how it goes. Yeah. There, there are always winners and losers. And, um, you know, joking apart, there are winners and losers in systems. There always has to be a cut-off point. There always has to be a prize money cut-off. And we don't always get that right. And we do try and listen to the, to the players and the player members as much as possible. And in fact, the, uh, one of the things through our restructuring our own governance in the WPBSA was to launch the Official Players Commission, chaired by Sean Murphy, very capable, uh, both as a player, apart from this week, he didn't do well, but, um, you know, as, as, as a person, he's a very capable and he's a great ambassador. So we are trying to engage with the members as much as possible and take that, that back. We have um, already this year seen some changes that's come through the Players Commission. We've looked at seeding cutoffs, we've tried to make the players' lives easier. We've also looked at prize money breakdowns and we've made a lot of improvements. It's not perfect and there is still a long way to go. And, but this sport is in great shape. But let's not be complacent because it, it could go a lot further. Mm. I guess this is more a sort of commercial question which is not necessarily your territory but one thing that struck me was certainly all the British ranking events and all the British tournaments, they're all sponsored by gambling firms. Now, we remember the tobacco days where they put a lot of money into the sport, but eventually the culture changed and politicians got rid of it. There is a danger that that could happen gambling, not necessarily next week, but it could happen. We'd be in trouble then, wouldn't we? Well, you know, I wouldn't call it trouble. I mean, it would certainly um, you know, affect the way that we're, we're developing so quickly, but... You know, if we're honest, this sport doesn't rely solely on sponsorship anymore. It, it isn't um, our tobacco as it once was. And, you know, let, let's look back and, and be thankful for the, you know, huge sums of money that's been invested in our sport to bring it where it is today. You know, the gambling companies have been great partners and, and great sponsors to our sport. Um, we've, seen, uh, we've seen growth through it. And that growth, really, we've, we've managed to invest uh, that in the right areas to go forward. There is a lot of talk at, at government level about, um, you know, potentially in the longer term that gambling advertising may go. And, but, you know, at this moment in time, it, it, is, it does, gambling um, on sport does have a very tight relationship with sport. And, you know, the one thing we're fortunate to have, in, particularly in this country, is a regulated gambling market. Um, this makes our life much easier as a sport. We can we can regulate what goes on. We can we can manage what goes on in our venues, and we can manage what our players do. So, which is very important. It's hard to regulate though in other countries. Like there's there's gambling certainly in Asia, which is harder to, to regulate. It is harder. Um, we we have um, a system in place which does monitor uh, gaming globally. We are aware of what's going on in betting in, on snooker, and I have to say, you know, we, we're also aware 
the, the majority of bets in Muslim group is very, very tiny um, in terms of the, the average bet. You know, it, it really is fun betting by punters who come and enjoy watching the snooker or may sit at home watching the snooker. Um, in the, we don't know what the long-term view is of politicians. We don't know where that goes. I think it's a long way off. Um, and would we ride that storm? I can tell you that yes, we would. Um, if you, I was um, unfortunate to be a director of World Snooker when tobacco was going. Uh, and I can tell you it was a very difficult time for the sport. But with gaming today, the sport's in a lot different shape. You know, our, our business is made up of, of many different areas. It, it, yes, it's sponsorship, but it's also um, what we do in the cities. It's also um, what we do in terms of television distribution, globalisation. You know, there, there are many aspects to our business. Our business, um, with obviously with the support that we've had from Matchroom Sport, is a solid business. And, um, you know, hopefully the future will be very bright. The other sort of complaint that I've heard in, in the players' room, in the 10 minutes I was in there, was um, a couple of players were saying about the, the first prizes are getting bigger, which is great if you win them, but they were saying it does slightly skew the ranking list. If you win a tournament, you sort of rock it up to number 11 or 12 in the world or something, um, and you sort of get to stay there in effect for two years, they were saying. Whether that's exactly true, and also maybe they don't see the commercial value of having a big first prize. Yeah, I think, I, I think historically, if we were to go back five years, I think we, we were certainly guilty of pushing the first prizes up as much as possible. You know, we were maximising uh, the value of our sport. What we've, what we've done in the last two years is actually backfill from that position. And you, if, if you analyse it over a period of time, you will see that um, many players are earning a lot more money than they were in the lower ranks. And certainly... Uh, runners-up, semi-finals, quarter-finals have gone up in the last year. And that was a conscious effort. And again, it came from the players. The players made the point that it was creating a discrepancy in the rankings. They felt that the front-runners were running ahead too far. And, and we've answered that question. Now, it's not always going to be perfect. Somewhere there'll be some middle ground. The China Open is a, is a great example this year. We've announced the, the new event with a million-pound prize money. 225 to the winner, it's 90,000 to the runner-up. Now, this is a... Um, a much better percentage breakdown than we've had historically. We've, we've worked on backfilling those, those earlier rounds and up to the final. So it is working. Uh, I've, I've heard the, the debate, um, but it works both ways. Mm. You know, let's look at the great story of Michael Giorgio suddenly mm. winning not one of our biggest events of the year, but he earned, he earned the right. He won an event, qualified for the World Grand Prix. You know, it's the making of somebody's career. And Sport should be that way. It, it needs to reward the achievers mm. and those that um, aspire to be the best. Mm. How sort of pleased are you with the general state of discipline in the game? Uh, are people generally behaving themselves, you think? Yes, I think they are. There's always the dangers. I think the, the big danger these days for everybody is social media. I mean, you don't have to walk far now. Somebody will always say, oh, somebody said this about me on Facebook or, or whatever. I think our players have, are learning. We did issue social media guidelines a few years ago. The players, uh, in the majority, have adhered to those rules. They've been, I have to say, they've been very good and very respectful in many ways. And there's always a few arguments, and it's, there's always a few comments when somebody's lost sometimes, um, which we can all relate to. <laughs> At the end of the day, this is sport, and people do get uh, very down when they lose. Um, generally speaking, I think the, the standards of discipline are much higher than they've ever been. Um, I think the players are doing more. Um, I think they are uh, well presented. Um, 
yeah, there's always areas we can we can tidy up on. We're we're always looking at dress code and trying to keep people sharp on the dress code. Um, and there there are always a few that might just abuse the system now and again. And sometimes we might have to you know pull the other one in line. But I have to say, I think in the last year it's probably been one of our better years. And how does it sound to you though when Ronnie O'Sullivan describes half the tour as numpties? I mean, on, in one level, it's they're great headlines and, you know, five times world champion, he can give his opinion. On the other hand, you could say it's disrespectful to a lot of the talk. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's a brave man that comes out and t- tells you all the snooker players have numpties. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's certainly not true. We all know that because the, you know, the skill level to even get to this tour is, is incredible. Uh, when you think of the many millions of players competing around the world, and th- th- these, these players really are the best. And uh, it, it is disappointing when I hear comments like that. Um, you know, most players that would put enormous pressure on yourself. Ronnie just seems to be—he seems to be a different breed, and uh, he seems to ride anything. And um, greatest respect for Ronnie O'Sullivan. I mean, it's, you know, just to watch him play is, um, all these all these years been watching him play and win tournaments, and you can still never never get fed up of watching him play. He's a total genius. Mm. But, I mean, maybe the language you use is a bit inflammatory, but it's certainly true there are players on the circuit who are struggling to win matches, and they come into tournaments in, in the current system, the flat system, and they're playing Mark Selby, they're playing Ronnie in the first round, they're playing John Higgins, and they're getting beat. It's not, they're not going to make progress that way, are they? And then suddenly they turn it on and cause a big upset. There, there is an argument against that and, and, and again we've heard a few of the players make these comments and saying that this is not the right system but actually if we look at it it is the right system because it's also um, provided the opportunity for new players to break through you know I, I look at players like uh, Luca Brussel um, as an example who won the China Championship a major event came through from the lower ranks he made it he made it because he was good enough and there are other players that come through and make it as well. Um, it is tough for the players. I mean, I, you know, I was speaking to the young Egyptian player earlier who, who, who's you know, lost a few matches, it damages the confidence a bit. He very nearly beat Mark Selby on TV. You know, there's an argument as well to say that it, raises, it will raise a player to, to produce their best. I like the system. If, as a snooker player, um, not as the WPSA chairman, if you say, would, you, would I like to play in this system? I would love to play in this system. The players over the years have been far too protected. Um, the, the seeding of top 16 players through to the later rounds of all events is archaic in this day and age. Um, the, the system we have today, it provides opportunity. If, if somebody is good enough and they play to, the high, you know, to that high standard, they will win. And, and that's what we should do as a sport, provide that opportunity. But what does put them under pressure in the first round is there's no money for losing in the first round. So they're already playing maybe Mark Selby and they don't get a penny if they lose. Is there not an argument that that should change? I mean, in the World Championship, I think the leap from the first to the second round is like £9,000 or something. Yeah, it's, it's, it's huge. Um, but it is the World Championship. The prize money is very high, uh, £425,000 to the winner this year. But it year. goes from nothing to 9000 That's the point. It's not like you would get like 1000 for losing first round. You get zero. Yeah, I think you know, one, of, one of the things that World Snooker um, as a body has been very strong with is said, everything is based on achievement. Everything must be based on producing the form winning the match and achieving something. I mean, is that it not an achievement to be a professional, to actually turn professional in the first place? 
It is, but there's, there's no easy ride for anybody in anything. And if you, um, if you go through in any sport, you have to win and you have to achieve. The rewards are there. And if you look at the way the sport is now, the China Open is our next uh, huge event in China. out in China. It's £5,000 for winning one match. That's before you get to China. Um, the players will be very well looked after in a five-star hotel. It's not that bad a life. <laughs> <laughs> So what's next for you, just wrapping up, what's, what, what's your, I mean, we're in Wales, you're only here for the day, you're obviously off somewhere, what's the next sort of big thing for you? Well, for me, um, at this moment I've been very happy to be uh, um, at home for a couple of weeks, which has been very unusual, um, I've been on the road for what feels like about eight years, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually um, here today, um, I'm working very hard in our Bristol office at the moment, because we're, we're developing many new strategies about how we're going to go forward, it's not just the World Super Tour that people see on TV, we're also running a World Disability Snooker, yeah. World Women's Snooker, sure. we're developing amateur events, we've got the World Snooker Federation Championships coming up in Malta. Um, that will be my, my next big trip abroad, we'll be out to Malta to make the announcements to, to restructure the amateur game. And from there I'll be going out to, the, to China for the China Open. Mm. And before you know it, Dave, we'll be yeah. back in Sheffield and you and I will be saying, has that really been a year? <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely, it's coming round, it's coming round the corner. Last, last point, I think we should mention one of the unsung heroes, Matt Hewitt, who everyone would know from Pro Snooker Blog. A good signing for you. Oh, you know, um, Matt's been around for quite some time. When you, when you find somebody who saves up his holidays yeah. um, to come and blog on snooker, that there's a passion in a person. Um, I recognised it in Matt a few years ago. Uh, I asked him to come and work for me. Um, it, it was a bit of an odd signing, but for me, it was brilliant. And I have got to say, he's producing some great um, feed, feed, you know, some great news feeds for us in every aspect of the game. Working very closely with us now. Uh, you know, we're very fortunate. We're building a, a sports development team in the WPBSA. Um, which can, can manage everything from amateur players starting out to those that are aspiring to be professionals. So they're exciting times, but yeah, thanks to Matt, he gets the message out. Good. Uh, thanks a lot for your time, Jason. No doubt we'll speak again in the future at some point. Pleasure. Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hay dos cosas que son absolutamente ciertas. Abuelita te ama y nunca diría que no a McDonald's. Date un gusto con un Grandma McFlurry en tu orden hoy. Es lo que abuela quisiera. Baratapapa. En McDonald's Participantes por Tiempo Limitado. Hay dos cosas que son absolutamente ciertas. Abuelita te ama y nunca diría que no a McDonald's. Date un gusto con un Grandma McFlurry en tu orden hoy. Es lo que abuela quisiera. Baratapapa. En McDonald's Participantes por Tiempo Limitado.